Today represents the greatest day in all of human history. Amen? Is there anything that's ever happened in the history of the world more important than the day Jesus came out of the grave? No, there's not. I'll tell you the answer. There's not. Uh, it is the greatest. We have celebrated the resurrection this morning. We've, we've taken the choir's done an amazing job. Thank you guys, Dan and the, and the band. They've done a wonderful job of taking us to that moment, taking us to the tomb to find what the women found when they got there, that the stone was moved, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was not there. And I've been thinking about something for weeks now that's been on my heart as I've, as I've tried to wrap my mind around Easter and the Passion. And, and I want to share that with you this morning. And I, I, want it, I want you to try to let your minds be captured by this thought. Um, we didn't have worship last Sunday because we, we chose not to because of the weather and, and the risk that was involved. And we didn't want to put anybody in danger. Uh, but I was really disappointed that we weren't able to do that because I really wanted us to experience a day focusing on the cross. Because we have to understand that today we can't experience the full joy of the empty tomb until we are able to experience the darkness of the bloody cross. Like if, if we don't endure the cross and suffer through that, we can't experience the joy that the resurrection really, really brings. And so we have to try to place ourselves there at the foot of that cross that day on Good Friday and everything that happened around that. And all the things that happened after that, Jesus died on that cross. And I say it every year, we are victims of the greatest spoiler in all of history. We usually approach Good Friday knowing that Sunday's coming, right? Well, they didn't. They didn't know Sunday was coming. When Jesus died on that cross, he was dead. His lifeless body was taken down off that cross, beaten Shredded beyond recognition. And every hope and every dream of the people who had given up everything to follow after him, all of their hopes and dreams for what he was going to do was over. Because he was gone. He was dead. What, what now? What are we going to do to the kingdom that he was bringing? That's not coming anymore because he's dead. And there was a darkness in that moment. The people who followed after him, so many of them ran and they hid because they had just seen what the Romans had done to Jesus. And they feared for their own lives, that they would come and take them and do the very same thing to them. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know what to expect. But there were a few of his followers who stayed close to him through the entire crucifixion. And the Bible tells us about them. Some women, the Apostle John. And it also talks about a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish government body. Like they, they would be like the Supreme Court of the Jews. He was a member of that body, and they were the ones responsible 
for calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. But the Bible tells us in Luke that Joseph of Arimathea was a follower of Jesus. But he did it in secret because he feared his position in the Sanhedrin. But after he witnessed the crucifixion, after he saw what had happened, there was a moment where he went to Pilate and he requested the body of Jesus. And at that moment, he came out publicly. There was no more hiding. And when he came to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus, it was out of love that he and the women and those few disciples wanted to, to make sure Jesus got a proper burial. Because when the Romans crucified somebody, they didn't worry about burying you. They really didn't even worry about taking your body down off the cross. Once you died, they left you there. And they let the animals and the birds take care of the body. And it was a symbol to everyone who walked by and saw it of what the cost of going against Rome was. We know the reason that Joseph went to Pilate, but we don't know the reason exactly that Pilate granted his request, but he did. And so Joseph was given charge of the body of Jesus, and they took his body down, and they wrapped it like his body was just one big wound. And they took it, and they wrapped it as best they could because the Sabbath was coming, and they didn't have much time to properly do all of the preparation. And so they wrapped him, they prepared him as best they could. Before sundown, they placed him in that tomb. And the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels tell us that the women who were there saw him go in the tomb. They helped prepare his body. They laid him. They, it even says in detail that they saw how and where he was laid. And they covered the tomb with that stone. And they went home expecting Jesus to do what every other dead person does. Stay dead. And so the morning after the Sabbath was over, they took their spices and their uh, ointments and their oils and they went to complete the, the burial process out of love and respect for Jesus. And what they found is not what they expected. When they walked, they're actually walking to the tomb. And the Gospels tell us that the women are asking each other, well, who's going to open the tomb? Who's going to roll the stone away? We don't even know who's going to do that. But, but for some reason, they kept walking. And they got to the tomb, and they found that the stone was already rolled away because God had moved it. And the stone, make, be clear, the stone was not moved so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that the whole world could get in and see that he wasn't there. He didn't need to move a stone. He walked right through that thing if he had to. No problem. In his glorified, resurrected body. And the whole world took notice. He's not here. And, and the, the joy of the resurrection, they almost couldn't believe it. They almost could not even understand they were shocked they were surprised because they didn't know the spoiler that we know and as we think about this story every year I always try to find some element of it that's that maybe I haven't thought about before something new something different have you ever wondered what happened 
in that in-between time of the accounts that we have in Scripture. Because the accounts we have is they laid him in the tomb, they rolled the stone over, they left. Then the next thing they see is that open tomb that's empty. And do you ever wonder what happened in that time in between? And not, I'm not talking about what happened in the world or outside the tomb in that in-between moment. I'm talking about, you ever wonder what happened in the tomb? And if we, if we let our imaginations take us to that, to that tomb, in that tomb there was a single moment that changed all of human history. You say, well, what was that moment? <laughs> In the midst of that cold, dark, silent tomb, this was the moment. <laughs> One moment he was dead. Then the next moment, that first heartbeat fired up. Can you imagine what it was like in his body? That blood that was still sitting stagnant and still in his body because they, wouldn't have, they didn't embalm him like we do today. That body sat still and stagnant and that blood was just sitting there. And then all of a sudden, those blood molecules start coming to life. And then that first heartbeat echoed in that in that tomb <laughs> and his heart started to beat and that blood started to flow that same blood that dripped down off the cross the same blood that gives us life today starts flowing through those veins all through his body and then that blood starts pumping and then you hear him say and his lungs fill up with air for the first time and he takes that first exhale he starts to breathe the skin on his body that was all shredded and beaten to a pulp begins to come back together <laughs> I, I can't like are, are y'all with me here all of this starts to happen in a moment. One moment he's dead, the next moment his heart's beating and he's alive. All of death was defeated for the rest of time in that one moment. All of history was changed in that one moment. And I want us to dwell this morning on that one moment. Because it changed everything. I want you to remember this. The power of this one moment in history made it possible for one moment to change everything for us. <laughs> the fact that that one moment in the tomb changed history, it changed everything. It tells us that that gives power for one moment to change everything in your life and to change everything in my life. And so that's the gospel. 
And the gospel means good news. And I can't think of any better news to stand in front of you this morning and to tell you that the Jesus who died on the cross rose from the dead on that first Easter morning and he's still alive right now just as much as he was then. And because he's alive, it means that you can be alive. And you may go, okay, Eric, I get it. You're being a little dramatic. I'm alive now. I'm here. My heart's beating. My blood's pumping. I'm breathing in and out. I'm good. I'm alive. What are you talking about? It starts with, with the story. The gospel is the story of good news. And the, the story starts where any good story starts. It starts at the very beginning. It starts at the creation. I want you to read. I'm going to go through several scriptures today because what I want us to do is understand what the gospel is. I want us to understand what the gospel means. And then I want to give you the opportunity to let one moment, one encounter with the gospel change your life. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 says this about Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, meaning Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and what? For him. You say, why did God create the world? Why did he create all of us? Because he wanted to. It was for his joy. It was for his pleasure that he created you. He created me. He created everything. And he created us to be in relationship with him. That's the joy that he had in creating us. Everything was made by Jesus and through Jesus. And verse 17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's for the joy of the Lord that he created us. So we begin there. He created the world. He created all of us to be in relationship with him because that was his joy. So he creates Adam and Eve and puts them in the garden and gives them everything they could possibly need or want. And he gives them one rule. And sometimes we would think about our life and how many rules and laws we have to follow and think, wow, if I was only given one rule to follow, I think I could keep it. But you know what? You would have been just like them. They had one rule. God said you can have everything you want, as much as you want. But there's one thing that I forbid you to take part in. Don't touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because when you do that, you disobey my law and it'll bring death. And so they did the one thing God told them not to. And it brought sin into the world. And sin was introduced and it became a curse that separated all of us from God. Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. You say, well, I don't have anything against God. Yeah, you really do. Because the word says you do. 
The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You know what that means? That means that sin curses all of us, and it doesn't matter how much you try to be good and pleasing to people or to God, you'll never succeed. Because we all fall short of the glory that is him. Because we are sinful man and he is holy, righteous God. And the only way we could ever hope to be able to reconcile to a perfect God is to be perfect. Have you tried that lately? Doesn't work, does it? I remember when I was a kid, I used to wake up in the morning when I was a little kid growing up in church, I used to wake up in the morning and I would say, okay, I'm going to try to go all day long and not sin one time. And some of y'all have tried that too. I can tell by your response. You remember what it was like. Maybe you were a kid. Maybe you were an adult. I don't know. You'd say, I'm going to go all day long and not sin. That lasted like through my cereal. <laughs> it never works. You know why? Because... Because we are an accursed people, separated from God, with no ability to reconcile ourselves to him at all. There's nothing that we can do. And because God is perfectly just, some people say, well, if God loves everybody, then why does he allow punishment? Well, if, if there were a judge in a courtroom here in Rome, and a criminal came into their courtroom, completely guilty... Evidence upon evidence convicting this person of being guilty. And the judge were to look at them and say, well, you know what? I, I really like you. I, I even love you. And because I love you, I'm going to excuse what you've done. I'm going to let you off the hook, and there's no penalty for it. That dude wouldn't have a job in Rome very long, would he? Because that is not what a judge is called to do. A judge upholds justice. God is not just perfect in his love. He is perfect in his justice. And for God's perfect justice to be satisfied, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be paid for. It has to be accounted for. But in his great love, knowing that we could never pay for it ourselves, we could never account for it, Enough to be redeemed. Enough to be back in relationship with him. And because his greatest desire is to be in relationship with us. He decided to provide the way. For us to be able to be reconciled to God. And that was the mission of the cross. Jesus became that blood lamb sacrifice. Look at Romans chapter 5 verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, <laughs> this is the good news, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made sinners righteous you see what's happened you see what God has done it was the sin of one that cursed us all 
And so God says, I'm going to let the righteousness of one be the covering for you all. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we've all heard John 3.16 for our entire life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only perfect, spotless son. So that anyone who believes in him, puts their trust in him, gives their life to him, will not perish, won't die eternally separated from God, but will have everlasting life. But the cross had to happen for that to happen. And probably my favorite gospel passage in the whole Bible, probably my favorite verse in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us. So that through him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if you get what that is saying, but there was an exchange that happened on the cross. And God said, the offer I make to you is that I will take all of your sin, everything that separates you from me, and I'm going to place it on my son. And I'm going to punish him as if he were guilty of everything you've done. And if you believe, if you trust in him, then I will take the righteousness the right standing that I have with my one and only son and I'll give it to you so that you can be made right with me just as he is right with me. What better deal is there in the universe that God would take our sin and put it on his son And take his son's righteousness and give it to us when we've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. You want to know how much God loves you? That's it. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16. In verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Folks, the gospel is good news, but the gospel does not promise you a bed of roses for the rest of your life. And there are preachers who will tell you that that is true. And what I want you to know this morning, sincerely from the deepest part of my heart, if you hear a preacher anywhere, in a pulpit or on television, tell you that God's ultimate desire is to make you happy and give you everything you want, he is preaching a false gospel. That is not what the gospel means. Jesus did not come and die on a cross and come out of the grave so that you could have the nicest car or the nicest house or live the American dream. 
That's not the gospel. But he came to rescue your soul from eternal punishment from your sin. And Jesus came as the sacrifice for that. He doesn't promise that everything will be great for your life on earth, but he does promise the presence of a Savior through everything that we go through. He promises his presence in our life. And yeah, life is hard. Don't ever let a Christian tell you life is easy just because you come to Jesus, because it's not. But you have the power of Almighty God living in you as you walk through those trials. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in the believer. And so you can endure. And when you don't have any strength left, his strength fills in the gaps for us. For everyone who believes. So you say, well, what happens when we believe? What happens when I believe? If I give my whole life to to God, if I surrender to the gospel, what what does that mean? John 5, 24, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, which was Jesus' way of saying, Listen up, this is really important. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. One moment. You see what happened in the tomb. Jesus in one moment crossed over from death to life. And Jesus says here, for all of you who believe, who put your faith and trust in me, there's a moment that you cross over from death to life. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you good because you were bad. Jesus died and rose from the grave to bring you to life because you were dead. And the Bible says, when when we said earlier, hey, well, I'm alive. Yeah, your body's alive. But if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, the Bible says your spirit is dead. Your soul is dead. You're dead in your sin and trespasses. And there are dead people all over the country today. There are dead people all over the world. There are dead men walking, sitting in churches all over the place today because they've never been brought to life by the gospel. And there's a promise. There's a promise for the ones who believe, the ones who repent, the ones that endure through. And it's in Revelation 21. Beautiful, beautiful picture. John sees the revelation of God and he writes and says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself 
will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And then he says something beautiful in verse 5. It says, then the one seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's a promise for those who put their faith in Christ that one day everything will be made new. Everything that has broken this world, everything that has broken our life, everything that wants to pull and separate us from fellowship with God is going to be done away with. And our friendships and our families will be restored. Relationships with people. And the most glorious thing about eternity is we'll be face to face with our God. There won't be any more dim glass or mirrors that we have to look through. Like Paul said, now we just see dimly like in a bad mirror. But then we'll see face to face. That's the promise. That's the promise for those who believe and endure. So without the empty tomb, the best we would have today is a good moral teacher who taught us how to live a good life. And he's dead. But he's not dead. (laughs) Is he? No. Say, he is risen. It is the living Savior that offers salvation, forgiveness, grace to us. And you know, you may say, well, Eric, I don't know if he can forgive me like that. You don't know me. You don't know what what I do. You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the stuff I think. It's bad. I want you to think about for a second. Is there anything that you could do that would be worse than murdering the Son of God? Because there were people that day who did that. Members of the Sanhedrin were guilty. The Romans murdered Jesus. The soldiers who were the ones who drove the spikes in his wrist and in his feet and lifted him up on that cross. The ones that made fun of him. The ones that spit on him. The one that, ones that pulled his beard out. The ones who pushed that crown of thorns down on his head. Pilate who put the sign above his head. This is the king of the Jews. The way they mocked him. They murdered the son of God. And you know what the first recorded words from Jesus hanging on that cross were? Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. We don't know what we're doing either. So if Jesus prayed that prayer as he looked down at the very people who were murdering him, Don't tell me he can't forgive you. Don't tell me he doesn't have grace for you. Don't tell me that he can't save you and rescue you from your sin. Because that was was his prayer for them. And that was his prayer for us. 
So will you bow your heads with me this morning? The greatest thing I could share with you today on Easter Sunday is the good news of the gospel. And the greatest thing that you could experience is surrender to it. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed this week that God would let his gospel be heard. I've prayed and asked God to help me make it clear so that people could know and hear and understand. But it's up to him. It's up to the spirit to change the hearts of people. I I don't have that power. And I don't know what, what is going on in your life. I don't know how you feel this morning. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I I just want to take a moment and give you a chance to respond to what you've heard this morning, just even right there in your seat. The Bible says that God sees our heart, that we believe with our heart. And the way that we express our belief to Him and the way we we come to him. We say, well, what if that's what I want? Then all you have to do is, is tell him. And we talk to him through prayer and through a simple prayer. It doesn't, it's not magic. There's nothing magic about the words that you say. There's not any certain words that you have to say. Because I believe God sees your heart. But in that moment, if you're here this morning and you know that you've never experienced salvation, that you've never been brought to life, crossed over from death to life through the gospel, you can do that right now. Through a simple prayer to the Lord. And it would be something, maybe something like this. Your heart would say to God on, on, on your own, But it would be a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, God, I am guilty sinner. And I realize this morning there is nothing I can do to make myself good enough to be acceptable to you on my own. But I've seen this morning how much you love me. And I've seen the lengths that you have gone to to make a way for me to be forgiven. And I want that forgiveness. I'm so sorry for rebelling against your law, for living life for myself, and I want to lay that down this morning, and I want Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to count for me. Please forgive me. Please clean me. Recreate me, as your word says. Make me into a new creature, a new person. And as you do that this morning, I make a commitment to you, God, to 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 leave here as a new creation walking in a new way I want to follow after Jesus I want to lay down all the things that I've been pursuing in my life and make those things nothing compared to pursuing Jesus in my life I want to follow his words I I want to walk in his way I want to begin to grow as you make me your son and your daughter Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving me. And I give my life to you. If that's your heart this morning, if that's a simple prayer that you pray, then the Bible says 
that in that moment we cross over from death to life. That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That all of the old has gone away and everything becomes new. And if you've done that this morning, if you say right here in my seat, that's the decision I'm making right now. This is what I want. Jesus would say, then come out and publicly profess me. He died a public humiliation for us. And he says that if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. And so if you want to make that decision this morning, if you've made that decision privately and you want to make it public right now, you can do that. As we sing the song in just a moment, I want to invite you to just step out of your seat. There there are people that may have to move. I promise anybody who has to move to let you out will do that gladly. And just come and speak with me. I just want to pray with you, celebrate with you. And let our whole family here celebrate with you. And if you're a believer, pray for anyone who's not. You may have someone on your heart that you want to come to this altar and pray for. You want to pray for their salvation. Maybe there are issues going on in your life, in your family that that you know the only thing that can save you is Jesus and you just want to come and lay those things down before him and and give up (laughs) sometimes the greatest thing in the world we can do is give up